So we're in the book of Matthew chapter 5. Last week, we talked about blessed are the meek, for they inherit the earth. And we talked about a common theme that we're going to be discussing over the next couple months. And that is that uh, there are two kingdoms. There's the kingdom on earth, that is pride. And there's the kingdom of heaven, and that is meekness. And the whole um, idea of the book of Matthew is Matthew is a Jew writing to Jews about a Jew, Jesus. And what he's trying to explain to them is that he is the Messiah. And so Matthew uses a lot of Old Testament references, a lot of fulfilled prophecy, all this to show that Jesus is the Messiah, he's the king, and his kingdom is here. And so when we look at uh, this idea that the kingdom of the world is pride and the kingdom of heaven is meekness, and you'll see me doing this for a long time. When I do this, it means it's the kingdom of the world. When I do this, it means it's the kingdom of heaven. And these kingdoms we talked about aren't just bordering states. They're not just, oh, okay, I'll leave you alone if you leave me alone. (laughs) It's not like that. They're at war with each other. They're at war with each other. And so... We talked about this idea of, the, of the, uh, 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 the kingdom of heaven being meekness. And we had our meek meter which was uh, on every bulletin. And you could mark out. We asked 10 questions. And you could mark how well you were doing. And to see if your meek meter got you all the way up to meek. Or if you were still in pride again. And, uh, and so you can download that Mikometer if you want on our website, uh, livingspring.com. Go to downloads and you can download your very own Mikometer and play the game at home. Uh, uh, we're working on a board game. No, I'm kidding. We're not. Um, come on, lucky sevens. Okay, no, uh, kidding around. All right, so uh, we talked about some questions. Am I consumed with my own agenda? Can I control my own tongue? Can I submit to authority? Will I readily change my life to match biblical standards? These were all questions we asked ourselves to see, are we living a life that is uh, meek? And, um, and then finally, we talked about what does it mean to actually inherit the earth? <laughs> Excuse me, the meek will inherit the earth. And we talked about that that means that imagine if you won the lottery. Imagine what it would feel like to not have any worries financially, to be able to uh, operate in a life that is completely fulfilling. Well, we can have that. We can inherit the earth. We can really live a life like that through meekness in Jesus Christ. So then we get to Matthew uh, chapter 5, verse 6, and that's where we are uh, this week. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. They will be filled. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. What does that mean to hunger and thirst for righteousness? Again, we talk about this happiness, uh, the pursuit of happiness. That's written in our Declaration of Independence, by the way. We all are allowed life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We signed the Declaration of Independence to make us independent from uh, England. I'd submit to you that we need to sign a Declaration of Dependence for God. Blessed are the poor in spirit. We have nothing. We, we, we can't do anything. Imagine if that's what happened. The colonies came over and they said, this is failing miserably. This is terrible. King George, we need your help. Please, we want to sign a declaration of dependence. We're totally dependent on you, right? It didn't work that way. That's the way God wants it to work for us. This hungering and thirsting for righteousness, this idea that we are completely dependent on God. 
It's the same as it, it, it means to take the place of a hunger and our, our natural hunger and thirst. It should become as natural as that. Our desire to be right with God should be as basic as eating and drinking. You say, man, that's a long way off from where I am. It doesn't have to be. We're going to look at that uh, this, this, uh, this morning. This idea of hungering and thirsting. The same Greek word is used when Jesus was uh, tempted in, in, uh, when he was uh, in the desert and he fasted for 40 days. It says at the end of the 40 days, he became hungry. You can imagine how hungry he'd be after 40 days. And so what happened with Jesus? He, he has this, um, uh, this, this hunger for food, and yet when Satan comes to tempt him, his hunger for righteousness surpasses it. Satan says, make some bread out of these stones now bread kill I, I am a sucker for bread i love bread i'm a carbaholic i love warm bread and i can just imagine had i been fasting for 40 days and satan was like turn these stones into bread i'd be like oh yeah that's what i'm talking about you know just bam oh man that tastes so good Jesus' hunger for righteousness far surpassed his hunger for food. That's what it's talking about when it says hunger. That's the idea we get. Every time we're hungry, it's a, the light goes on to, man, I need that in my life for righteousness. David, uh, uh, if, if we remember, uh, in the um, Samaritan woman, at the well, the woman at the well, that's it. it. has nothing to do with David. It's the woman at the well. We'll get to David in a second. Jesus is uh, uh, at the, with the woman at the well, and we'll get to that story a little uh, deeper later on. But the, the disciples had gone to get some food, and Jesus had this discourse with the woman at the well. And when they come back, they say, Rabbi, eat something. We, we went and got you this food. We know you're hungry. Remember, we've talked about this before. Sometimes Jesus ministered so much, it says that he and the disciples didn't even have time to eat. And Jesus says something fascinating. They've got the food. It's here. They're handing it to him. Here's your Subway sandwich. No mayo, just like you ordered it. Here you go. And he says, my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. He, says, he said earlier, I have some food you don't even know about. That's how real God, Jesus' hunger for righteousness was. It actually was food to him. Now, David, in Psalm 63, he writes an unbelievable poem to God that really describes the same thing. Remember, David was a man after God's own heart. And again, we want to be people after God's own heart. Remember, we did a, a series on worshiping the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind. We want to be a people after our God's own heart. So this is the poem, the love poem that uh, David writes to God. He says, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you. In a dry and weary land where there is no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life. Knowing you and wanting this righteousness is better than food. That's not up there. I just brought that up. I will praise you as long as I live. Same, uh, 
And in your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with the riches, richest of foods. My singing lips, with singing lips, my mouth will praise you. Oh, I'm just gonna, I just long for you. When I was uh, a little kid, my, my brother's seven years older than me. So as you can imagine, the amount of torment I went through has needed many, many counseling sessions. Um, but one of the things my brother would do to me was uh, when, we'd, when we'd drive on a long trip, uh, I'm, I'm, as you know, I'm exactly like my son. We're two identical human beings. He probably budded off of me and then became an, another life form, okay? So, so uh, we're, we're the same in this way. And we would drive in this car and, and, and my sister would be on this side and my brother would be on this side and it'd be cramped and we didn't have a DVD player, you know, that would drop down with headphones. And all of a sudden I'd become thirsty. Didn't have air conditioning in the car. Dad, I'm so thirsty. Oh, can we stop? And man, my dad, we're not stopping, you know. He'd go like this. And he'd, he'd, he, had a, he was talented because he could get all three of us in one, right? And then my brother would go to one side and my sister would go to the other. So he'd just get me, bam, bam, bam. I'm thirsty. So then my brother would start in. Oh, man. Could you imagine an ice cold Coke? with the water just dripping down the sides of the glass. You know, <laughs> stop it, stop it. Of course, then my sister, oh, that sounds good. You know what else sounds good? A big glass of orange juice, ice cold, right? That's what it's like to thirst for righteousness. To sit and to go, oh, man, I just want to have a relationship with God that's so close Oh, man, I need the Lord. That's what it's like. As a deer pants for the water brooks, my soul pants for you, O oh God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? When can I get to him? When are we going to pull over and I'm going to get that Coke? When's it going to happen? That's what it's like. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. So what does this mean? What does this mean? Well, it's one of the reasons why we fast. The reason we fast is to get into that discipline of feeling the hunger and going, oh, Lord, you've put this in me. You supply all my needs. Every time our stomach growls, we think of the Lord. It's one of the reasons why we have that discipline to fast. Well, I want to look at Jesus for a little bit and see how Jesus satisfies this hunger. The first point on your outline there is that, uh, oh, you know what? I want to show you a video of someone who's really, really hungry. Can you hit those lights again? I know you've been working real hard on, on getting those down. Hopefully you can see this. I love this video. Go ahead. That dude was hungry, right? He was hungry. 
I got that off of YouTube, and it's so funny to me to read some of these comments. That wasn't real. That's a... <sighs> They're all upset. I, no way can a man outrun a cheetah. Post. I'm sick of this. It really is the lowest common denominator, really. Anyway. How hungry are you? How hungry are you? That dude was hungry. He wanted that little, I don't know what that thing was, an antelope or something. I can't, I can't remember. I want to start out with thirst first. Jesus is water for the thirsty soul. You know, your body is 60% water. And water is used for all sorts of stuff. It carries nutrients in our body. It eliminates waste. It, keeps, it regulates our body temperature. It cushions the joints. They always say, stay hydrated. You know, stay hydrated. Well, Jesus is water for the thirsty soul. I want to talk again about this Samaritan woman that Jesus sees. And we've talked about this before, and I want to go over almost exactly how I said it before so that we can really get this idea down. Jesus shows up to the woman at the well. We call her the woman at the well. Very creative. 2,000 years of biblical study. That's the way we describe her, the woman at the well. We've got to come up with something else. It's a woman at a well. It's more importantly, she's a Samaritan that the, who the Jews didn't talk to. And so the disciples go to get food, as I mentioned before, and Jesus shows up and he says to this lady, hey, why don't you get me a drink? Get me something out of that well. And so the woman says, why, why are you talking to me? You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. It was bizarre to her. And here's what Jesus says in John chapter 4, verse 10. Now remember, Jesus asked for a drink And she starts in this kingdom here. Okay? Jesus says, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you the living water. He's up here. She has no clue that he's up here in this kingdom. She says, You don't have anything to draw, draw with. You can't even get the water. Again, down here. He says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And she says, oh, give me some of this water so that I don't have to come back to this well again. (laughs) She's down here. Jesus says, oh, man, go call your husband. So she says, well, I don't really have a husband. And he says, that's true. You you don't have a husband. You've had a lot of husbands. And the one you're living with now is not your husband. And all of a sudden, the light goes on. And she says, oh, you're not talking about this kingdom. You're not from around these parts. (laughs) Right? You're talking up here. And she says, I perceive you're a prophet. Jesus says, yeah, I am. (laughs) He says, I'm the Christ. He says, there's going to come a time. When, when you won't worship at this level, you're going to worship in spirit and in truth. It's not going to be about religion. It's going to be about a relationship with God. And I'm the dude who's going to do it. I'm the living water. It's me. I'm the water for a thirsty soul. Another section of scripture is in uh, John chapter 7, verse 37. I want, you to, I want to read this with you. Let's see if we got it up there. Yeah, next one there, perfect. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. 
Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. Now, what's going on here? It's important for us to understand the setting. This, This statement on the last and greatest day of the feast wasn't just thrown in there. It's very important for us to, us to understand what happened. This is the Feast of Tabernacles. And different scholars say it went on for different amounts of time. Some say uh, seven days, some say eight days, but it ju- we just passed it. It was October 15th through the 22nd. If you wanted to celebrate it, you missed it. Sorry about that. Uh, Feast of Tabernacles. And what would happen is, in Leviticus 23, it kind of gives some ideas on what's supposed to happen during this time. And it, everyone grabs a branch. It's not like the uh, Passover where they were laying the branches down for Jesus. Everyone would get a branch. Some would get palm branches. Some would get big, big branches. And they'd bring them all to the temple. Everyone came to Jerusalem for this. It was a huge deal. The Feast of Tabernacles was a huge deal. And what they do every day, I mean every night at the end, they take these branches and they put them over the altar to make a big roof over the altar. And they'd all um, uh, recite Isaiah 12, 3. And I'll, I'll get to what that says. The priest would take a golden pitcher and he'd go down to this pool called the Pool of Siloam, which means sending or sent. And he'd go down to this pool and he'd scoop up a bunch of water and he'd go back to the temple through a gate called the Water Gate. Not Nixon Water Gate. He wasn't born yet. This is the Water Gate. And he'd come through and they'd all be reciting this. With joy shall he draw water from the wells of salvation. That's what they'd say. With joy shall he draw water from the wells of salvation. So they'd go to this this pool of sending. Remember, Jesus was a sent one. And they'd scoop it up and they'd say, With joy shall he draw water from the wells of salvation. They'd come in and they'd all be singing. The Levite choir would be singing, playing flutes. uh, Psalms 113 to 118. And on the last and greatest day, and he'd pour this water on the altar. But on the last day, they'd circle the altar seven times to celebrate Jericho. Because the Feast of Tabernacles celebrated how God took care of them in the tents throughout the desert. That God took care of them. This is what they celebrated. But on the last and great, on the last day, they'd circle around because when Jericho, when Joshua took Jericho, it was the beginning of the promised land. The end of that is era and and the next one. So he's got this picture. Now listen, I don't know whether it happened right at this time or not, but this was on everybody's mind. This was the big deal, to pick up the water and to pour it on the altar while everyone was singing. This is when Jesus shows up. And he says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And listen, he didn't say it like that. This word for cry out, hold on a second. I don't want to tell you that. He says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. That's what it sounds It's a piercing cry. It's what they cried out when they yelled, Hosanna! Hosanna in the highest! Same thing. All these people around. This is the big event. This is it. You can imagine the Pharisees. They've been planning for this all year. It would be like if we had Easter service here and I planned a video and I planned a special bulletin and I get to the message at the end and I'm going to say, I'm given an invitation to Christ and one of some knucklehead stands up and says, look at 
me. <laughs> right? I'd be like, what? what are you doing? That's what it felt like to a Pharisee. It would be like Jesus' cell phone going off right in the middle of the, oh, man. What are you doing? You ruined it. But Jesus is a master of taking all of what, all the religion that everybody has and pointing it back on himself and going, you got it all wrong. If you are thirsty, I'm water for the thirsty soul. It's me. He did it at Passover. Everyone's going to Jerusalem for Passover. Big deal. And they're shouting Hosanna in the highest. And the Pharisees are like, dude, we've been planning all year for this. What are you doing? Now, see, it's different. If I'm preaching and somebody stands up and starts yelling something, it's inappropriate. Why? Because you'd be drawing attention to yourselves and that's not what it's all about. But Jesus is all about drawing attention to himself. Why? He's the king. It's his kingdom. And sometimes I feel like I'm in church and we're doing this thing and, and we're singing songs and I'm preaching and, uh, and I got my PowerPoint and videos or whatever and the Lord's going, it's me. And I have to go, oh, Lord, you're right. I got caught up. It's the old projector, not the new projector. Oh, this didn't work. That didn't work. And the Lord's going, if you're thirsty, come to me. Forget all that stuff. I'm the water for the thirsty soul. And, and at the end, in verse 44, it says, some wanted to seize him. I'll bet. You stand up and yell in the middle of Easter service. I'm getting the ushers and wrestle you down to the ground, drag you right out. That's how the Pharisees felt. Stay hydrated. Stay hydrated with Jesus. That's where you're going to go when your soul is thirsty. See, we've all been built to have this, this, this longing, this thirst. And down here, we just try thing after thing after thing after thing to try and quench that thirst. And it's not. It's up here. The idea of staying hydrated is great. I love this word picture because a lot of times what will happen uh, when uh, you know, I coach these little girl soccer things and I tell them, Drink before, like two days, start drinking two days before the game. They think, oh, if I show up with a, if I don't have soda all week long, which dehydrates you, and then I show up at the game with a big water, it'll be fine. That's not the way your body works. Your body works that we keep taking water and we hydrate ourselves so that when we do have a time when we need to exercise, the water's already there. But our Christian lives, at least my own, sometimes is like, I don't do anything all week. And then on Sunday, I'm like, <laughs> trying to get ready for the next week. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Jesus is water for the thirsty soul. Also, he's food for the hungry heart. He's food for the hungry heart. In John chapter 6, we have a great uh, section of scripture here that we've touched on briefly in the past about Jesus has fed the 5,000. And so, you know, what an awesome miracle. So they come back and they want some more of that, <laughs> right? Hey, it was bread last time. What do you think? Bread and fish. What's he going to whip up this time? So they show up and uh, they, they, they show up and he's not there. So they see his boat on the other side. And they all go up and they, hey, Jesus, what's going on? And Jesus says, I, I tell you the truth. You're looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. See, Jesus is saying, a relationship with me isn't about being satisfied on this level. 
It's not about being satisfied down here. It's not about this kingdom. If we come to church and we're just thinking, oh, it's gonna, it'll make me feel good for the week, it's not going to work that way. This is what he says. He says, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. He's calling them, let's, let's get on this kingdom. And so they go on and they say, oh, well, what must we do uh, that the, uh, to do the works that God requires? They're down here. And he says, the work of God is this. There's only one work. Believe in the one who, whom he sent. That's it. There's your work of God. So they go back to the bread again. They say, well, you know, our forefathers ate manna in the desert. He gave them bread to eat from heaven. Why don't you whip up some more of that bread? Come on, we're hungry. Even, the, even in, in the desert, we got bread. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, it wasn't Moses that gave you that bread. It was my father. Then he declares. He declares. He makes his declaration. This is our declaration of dependence on him. He says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. And he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus makes a declaration. Listen, guys. Don't, don't get your focus off of this stuff. When you feel hungry down here, let it remind you about your spiritual hunger. When you hunger and thirst down here, hunger and thirst for righteousness. Then he goes on again in verse 48. I'm the bread of life. Yeah, you're for, well, he didn't say yeah. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone, if anyone eats this bread, he shall live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. I'm the bread that came down from heaven. Remember we talked about uh, when Jesus was in the temple and all those candelabras were there and they were unlit and he says, I'm the light of the world. And then he goes and he's got the pitcher of water and he says, if anyone's thirsty, come after me. Now he says, I'm the bread of life. This bread is my flesh. And then they start getting all caught up. What? Because he goes on, you know, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood, which we're going to do at the end of the service. And they start getting caught up because they're still down here. Eat his flesh and drink his blood. Oh, my, this is crazy. He's weird. Oh, that's disgusting. It doesn't say that. That's what I'd be saying if, it, if I were down here. <laughs> All right. He says, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life. But then my paraphrase, paraphrase says, if you do, you'll live forever. The disciple said, man, Lord, this is a hard teaching. Jesus said, you want to take off? Go for it. He said, where are we going to go? You have the words for eternal life. Oh, they're beginning to get it. They're beginning to get it. It's not about bread. It's about eternal life. It's about Jesus. Jesus is food for the hungry heart. And let me tell you, we have all been born with a hunger and a thirst for God. And we can do whatever we want down here to try and fill it up. Sex, drugs, a new car, your job, sports, whatever. And it may satisfy for a little bit, but it's going to end up failing. It'll never really satisfy. But 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. So why have we lost our appetite? Why have we lost our appetite for righteousness? I started thinking about this. This, I hate preaching because every time I get into this stuff, I'm always so blasted, convicted. I'm like, I'm not qualified to preach this. The Lord's like, duh. So I started thinking, like, what would it be like to be hungry for righteousness like I am for food? On Friday, I was going over this very thing. And I don't eat breakfast typically because when I wake up, I'm just like, I have work on the brain. So when I wake up, it's like, how fast can I get out of the house so I can get to work? So I don't eat breakfast. So about 11 o'clock is usually when I get hammered. It's when it starts to, oh, man. So I'm going over this very thing about hungering and thirsting for righteousness, and I'm thinking to myself, man, when can I hunger? What would it look like for me to hunger as much as I I get hungry? And then all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, that sounds like a chorizo and egg burrito waiting to happen there. (laughs) Let's go to Los Catillas and whip up one of those. No, stop it. You're supposed to be working on the scriptures. Okay. Got my software out. Everything's ready. Ooh, a chorizo and egg burrito. Well, that sounded like Adam Sandler there. Chorizo and egg burrito. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry about that. Okay. My bad. So I'm thinking, oh, man. And it's right there in my face. Be in the word or go get something to eat. What's it going to be? It's like the Lord's up there going, perfect analogy. Let's see how you do. I'm like, go get my tree so an egg burrito. Come back. Ah, there we go. What would it look like if I was sitting there going, oh, man, Lord, I want so badly to please you. This word righteousness just means to be right with God. That's all it means, that we'd be right with God. That we have a hunger to be right with God. That nothing would get in our way. Well, the first thing I think that's happened in my, that happens in my life is I've lost my taste for righteousness. I've lost my taste for righteousness. Have you ever done a... One time I did a... It wasn't a... Fa- I tried, yeah, tried to make it spiritual by calling it a fast. It really wasn't. I just tried to go without sugar for 30 days. Uh, and so I, I did. And at the end of 30 days... I'd gone without it so long, I'd lost my taste completely for sugar. I mean, any, anything that had sugar in it was like, oh, oh my gosh, that is, ugh, that's nasty, right? I could taste sugar in little things going, man, this has sugar in it. And people are going, what are you talking about? Ah, I just, uh, I didn't like it. The same thing goes the other way. We like keep feeding ourselves with bad food and all of a sudden, you know, the plate of broccoli comes out. Ooh, I want a pizza. That's my, that, that, well, chorizo and egg burritos are really my weakness, but pizza is a close second. We lose our taste for righteousness. We end up beginning to just start going after things that, yeah, it's food, but it's not righteousness food. And so we lose our taste to really enjoy being able to be right with God. It's just it becomes stuff like um, we know what our sin is 
Like we all have our, the things we struggle with, pride, gossip, whatever, pornography, whatever your thing is, gambling, whatever. We all have our thing. We, all, we typically, in our own life, we have our top three or whatever. And it all becomes managing those top three. And it's, oh man, did I do that? Did I do that? Did I do that? Oh, and that becomes our food. And it's, it's not what God intended. That our food, that our, re- that our relationship with God would all be just down to, did I do this or did I not do this? God's saying, no, no, it's going to be something different. There's a righteousness to be right with me, to have a relationship with me that's so real. That's what you should hunger for. Jeremiah chapter 2 has one of the most indicting sections of Scripture that God gives to, to Israel. And I think it really uh, sheds light on, on our lives sometimes. He says in, in, in Jeremiah chapter 2, he says, As a nation ever changed its gods, yet they are not gods at all. But my people have exchanged their glory for worthless idols. They've lost their taste for being right with me, and they've made it something else. And then he says, be appalled at this, O heavens, and shudder with great horror. In other words, he's going, up in this level, in this kingdom, that is just horrible that you'd get your eyes off of this. You don't understand what you're missing. And he says, my people have committed two sins. One, they've forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they've dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold uh, water. They've done two things. They've taken their eyes off of this kingdom, the righteousness, and then they've tried to work something else out down here. They've completely lost their taste for righteousness. And they're going after something else. And, and he goes on and he says, why would you go to Egypt and drink that water? And why would you go to Assyria and drink the water from that river? You have no awe of me, he says. You have no awe of me. You've completely lost your taste for righteousness. It's become something else. And then he goes on and he says, where then are the, he says, you've said to wood, you're my father. And to stone, you gave me birth. In other words, my identity comes from you. Wood and stone. And we go, boy, that's weird. Wow, the same thing happens to me. I get my identity from what I do. It becomes my idol. How much money I make or who my friends are or whatever. That becomes my God. And then he says, where then are the gods you made for yourselves? Let them come and save you when you're in trouble. For you have as many gods as you have towns, O Judah. You try in everything and you've lost your taste for righteousness. Then he goes on in verse 36. He says, why do you go about changing your ways? Why do you keep trying one thing after another? You will be disappointed by Egypt as you were by Assyria. Stop trying to feed yourself with stuff that isn't righteousness. And then he paints this awesome picture. And he says, you will leave that place with your hands on your head. For the Lord has rejected those you trust. You will not be helped by them. You'll leave going, oh, what am I doing wrong? Why doesn't this satisfy? Because we've lost our taste for righteousness. Second thing, we need a, ho- a home-cooked meal. <laughs> we need a home-cooked meal. When we go on vacation, one of the most exciting things for my family, my kids, is that you know, we eat out all the time. You, know, you, start, you start on the road trip. We, we went up to uh, uh, Seattle or uh, one of those states up there. See, to me, it's like the world is California, and then there's these little spots everywhere. Like, this is Europe, this is Asia, this is 
Washington. That's where we went. We went to Washington, which is like way over here. California. Uh, and so, so we're driving, and at first it's exciting. Where, where do you guys want to go? McDonald's, you know, Burger King. Hey, there's a... And then like after like day three, I'm just like, I just don't want to eat anymore. I just want to go home and have a nice home-cooked meal. I'm tired. Even the nice places we went to, I'm like, ugh, it's too rich. It's too whatever. The prodigal son learned this. He was at home, and he didn't like the fact that it was the same thing every day, his routine. He didn't want to be with his father anymore. It was just blah. You ever get that way in your spiritual life? I want something new. I want... So he goes to his father and he says, give me my inheritance. And it says he went out, he got his inheritance, he went out to a distant country. I remember what we've ta- we talk about this a lot. Once you get isolated, you're in big trouble. That's why we're a body of Christ. Once that hand gets cut off, it, it ain't going to crawl around and start playing the piano. Okay? It's done. It shrivels up and dies. The same thing goes for us. He says he went to a distant shore, a, di- a distant land. He wanted his independence. No more dependence on the father. So he goes to this distant country. He gets isolated. And it says he spent, he squandered all his money on wild living. On wild living. It wasn't home anymore. It was crazy. Right? So what happens? He loses everything. And he hires himself out to feed pigs. Which to a Jew, to feed an unclean animal like that, totally utterly humiliating and degrading totally unacceptable he's feeding these pigs he he's it's just slop he something he long it says he longed to eat the pods that he was feeding these pigs that's how hungry he was and let me tell you something guys you might be in that stage of your life right now where you've left the father and said i'm gonna go do my own thing and you sit there with your hands on your head going, this isn't working. Man, if I, if I go back to my father, it, it might be okay. Now watch what happens. I love this verse in Luke fifteen seventeen. But when he came to his senses, he's sitting there and he's going, man, this isn't working. He said, how many of my father's hi- uh, hired men have more than enough bread? But I'm dying here with hunger. I just want a home-cooked meal again. I just want to be fed again with that satisfying meal with my father where we're laughing around the table and everything's, everything's going great. So what does he do? He goes back to his father and he asks for forgiveness. And his father accepts him with open arms. If that is you now in your life, if you have left, you've gone on and it doesn't have to be wild living It's just separation from your father, from your heavenly father to go try it on your own. Come back. It says the father saw him and started running to him. And when the son asked him for forgiveness, the father said, quick. Go get him something to eat. Kill the fatted calf. Quick. That's all it takes is to come back to the father and say, please forgive me. I am sorry. I've tried to do it on my own. And the Lord will make a home-cooked meal. He'll get you hungry for righteousness again. He'll get you back on a healthy diet of righteousness, of being made right with Him. That's what He does. 
That's what our Heavenly Father does. He feeds them. Thirdly, why do we lose our appetite? We snack too much. We snack too much. I am a big snacker. I love to snack. I've talked about it before. I love those Trader Joe's peanut butter, uh, their pretzels filled with peanut butter. How they inject the peanut butter into there, I have no idea. It's, it's a closed pretzel. I, do they, I don't know how they do it. I love those things. I just bought two bags of them. And there was only one bag left, and I was so tempted to buy it just because there was only one left, and what if they didn't carry them anymore? Took all my willpower. I snack too much. Let me tell you, sometimes you can lose your appetite by snacking on healthy stuff. Have you ever been to uh, one of the... uh, You guys were really sweet in giving Lisa and I a gift certificate to Morton's. And so when we went to uh, uh, Portland... We made reservations for Morton's up there. And the entire week we were talking about Morton's. Oh, we're gonna, Thursday we're going to Morton's. Oh, we're going to Morton's. Right. And then Thursday came. And it, it came time for lunch. What do you want? I don't want that much. Because we're going to Morton's tonight. You ever done that? You got a big meal coming up. You're Thanksgiving. What do you want for lunch? Nothing. Nothing. I'm saving it all. I want to be completely famished. Right? I don't want to. And then so we get to Morton's and the lights are dim and it's quiet and they come out with this loaf of bread. It's warm. And I'm just like, oh, come to daddy. I'm I'm starving. I'm starving. And it's like, here's the butter. And I'm just like, yeah. And I and Lisa's like, don't you don't do that. Don't don't fill up on bread. Right. You ever do it? Don't fill up on bread. The meal's coming. Oh, and you take a little bit. I just wanted it. Bread's not bad. But there was something else being prepared back there, something better. See, I think in my own life, the Lord is preparing great things for me. And yet, I, I, I snack on little things that may be good, maybe not sin, now, maybe I'm, I'm dealing with some anxiety in my life. And so the Lord's like, oh, I know exactly what you need for that. I, I know you're hungry to be made right with me. I, I've got a meal. And so, I, I, so what do I do? I, I, maybe I go shopping or I'm, I'm stressed out. So I watch television. Not a sin, but it's a snack. It, it takes away some of the hunger and then when the Lord delivers his meal, I go, well, I nibble a little bit off of it. Oh, so it was good. Instead of having the Lord provide his thing in his time that's grilled to perfection. And I go, yes, Lord, I'm so glad I waited. It's so worth it. We, we put these little snacks in our way to, to get to just get a quick, a quick fix. To alleviate the hunger. This happened to Moses. Moses, I mean, the guy saw the burning bush. He, he, he did all these miracles. I mean, the guy saw God work unbelievably in his life. Way more than you or I will ever see, most likely. 
His staff becomes a snake, then he snaps it back up again, and it's a staff, you know? That'd be awesome. Right? And so they go, they're going through the desert, and, and God wants them to build a tabernacle. And Moses goes before the Lord, and he says, Lord, you've been telling me, lead these people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. I'm dying here. I'm hungry. I, who, 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 who are you going to give to me? He's looking for a snack. I, I, I don't know what I'm going to do here. Give me somebody to help me. The Lord's like, oh man, give you somebody? No. No. He says, uh, Moses continues, he says, I, I know you, uh, uh, I know you by, uh, you've said to me, I know you by name and you found favor with me. If you're pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. Remember his agenda. Give me someone so I can lead this, this nation. And the Lord replied. God, sometimes I get so freaked out when I read some things in scripture. Moses went before the Lord and he says, I, I need somebody to help me. And the Lord replied. The Lord says, I'm cooking something up for you that's unbelievable. Don't snack on needing somebody else. That may help you for a little while. Come to be hungry. My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst to be right with God for they shall be satisfied. God's presence will come. We will be satisfied. We just have to wait for his timing. Matthew 7, 9 says this, Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, (laughs) nice Jesus, thanks, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? See, sometimes we ask for the stone. (laughs) We ask for the snake. We're like, just give me something. I I need something right now. The Lord's like, no, I, I know how to give you good gifts. Trust me. See, the promise is you will be satisfied. That's the promise. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Again, I use this verse. I think I'm going to try to use it every sermon until we're done with Matthew. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? That's thinking down here. What shall we wear? For the pagans, those who rule this world, run after all these things going, oh, this isn't working. This isn't working. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his what? Righteousness. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Revelation chapter 7 has an unbelievable scripture here that ties this all up. Verse 16. They will hunger no longer nor thirst any more. Nor will the sun beat down on them, nor any heat, for the Lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd and will guide them to springs of the water of life, and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. 
two sections of scripture here. One talks about we'll be satisfied on earth. Seek first his kingdom and all these things will be added to you. They'll be given to you. We'll be satisfied on earth. But our real satisfaction will come when we're completely made right with God. There won't be any tears. There won't be any hunger. There won't be any thirst because we'll be with him. If the ushers would come forward, we're going to take communion, which I think is, works out perfectly. Because if Jesus is, is food for the hungry heart and water for the thirsty soul, this represents Jesus. Remember when Jesus said, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood, and everyone was getting all freaked out. Well, what he was talking about is you have to make this relationship with him just like eating and drinking. And so what, what Jesus did is he established communion for us to keep in the back of our mind always this idea. We do this in remembrance of him. We are in love.